0: we are entering into what's called traditionally Holy Week, and beginning with Palm Sunday. And like we do around the Christmas season, there's a time to pause from what we are regularly doing and to every year remember the same story. And as this week we look at the triumphal entry of Jesus, and next week as we look to the resurrection... I want us to appreciate the regularity of the tradition of the church to take time every year and remember the final week of Jesus' earthly ministry that led up to his death and resurrection. That while the story is familiar, it is that rhythm of every year coming back to Jesus and his last week. And we're going to do that this morning, where we're going to look at, why does it matter that Jesus rode in on a donkey? Why does it matter that branches were picked and thrown on a road? And why do we as a church, and the church across history, remember Palm Sunday every year? I want you to see today's the beginning of a week where we take special time to remember that last week of Jesus. That as you go about your day this week leading up to the celebration of Easter Sunday, that you would take time out of your lives to remember a Savior who died for you and a God who did not leave us in our sin, but from eternity past had a plan to send a Savior who was Jesus. And that in the details of our text today, we're going to see the grandness of that plan. That the minute detail of Jesus not taking a horse but a donkey shows us that our God had a plan to save his people from their sins. So let's turn Matthew chapter 21. And we're going to look beginning at verses 1 through 3, and we're going to see the commands of Jesus setting up our story. Follow along as I read. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, To the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and He will send them at once. Matthew tells us that Jesus is approaching Jerusalem and stops at Bethphage in the Mount of Olives. The town of Bethphage was about a mile east of Jerusalem. And I think that Matthew includes that they stopped on the Mount of Olives because scholars tell us that there is a direct view of the temple across the Kidron Valley from the Mount of Olives. It is here that Jesus prepares to enter the city of Jerusalem, and the idea is that he can see clearly the city in front of him. Part of our understanding of this text is that Jesus knows this is the week of the crucifixion. You know, in the Gospels, we see Jesus knows what is going to happen, and he knows it is time for him to go to Jerusalem where it will all happen. There's this great passage in Luke chapter 9, which sort of serves as a fulcrum of the book as a whole. This is Luke 9, 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. It's important to know that Jesus purposely goes to Jerusalem. And as we'll see in the following verses, he is completely intentional in how he will enter Jerusalem. Let's look at these details, and then I want to come back to why these details are included for us. Jesus selects two disciples. He sends them ahead and tells them exactly what they will see. They will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. They are to bring those animals to Jesus. And Jesus knows that someone will be like, hey, why are you taking my donkey and my colt? If you want to see that actually happen, go read Mark 11. Jesus knows this is going to happen, and he says, if anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. Now we'll get to it in a few verses where the disciples obeyed Jesus and brought the donkey and colt to him. But before we get there, I want you to appreciate the details of what Jesus is doing. He didn't just send them in to find something for him to ride. Jesus was very specific and we see Jesus' sovereign control of the situation in all of this. Now in the next verse, verses, we're going to see the reasons for this intentionality. Because the way Jesus enters is a way that fulfills the Old Testament promises. But before we get there, I want you to see in these details the intentionality of Jesus to fulfill his mission to die and rise again for our salvation. The plan was always for Jesus to go to Jerusalem, die on the cross, and three days later rise again. Jesus didn't get caught off guard by the Jewish leaders and the Romans. God didn't have to switch to plan B because of what happened. And the crucifixion was definitely not a tragic accident in any sense of that word. Jesus purposefully and intentionally went to Jerusalem to die on a cross and rise again so that all who repent of their sins and place their personal trust in him will be forgiven of their sins, reconciled to God, and have the hope of eternal life. Your salvation was not an accident. Your salvation was not a tragedy of Jesus being captured by the people in power at the time. Jesus went to Jerusalem on purpose, knowing that he would die a sacrificial death so that all who believe in him would be saved. And now we can turn to how that intentionality of Jesus, how that pointed to the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. Let's look at verses 4 and 5. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Matthew helps us out here by explicitly telling us that this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Now, just by way of explanation, that opening phrase, say to the daughter of Zion, is from Isaiah chapter 62, verse 11. But the main part of the quote comes from Zechariah chapter 9, which I read at the beginning of service. This king who is righteous and having salvation will have a sign. How will you know that God is fulfilling his promise to send the saving king? He will enter on, to Jerusalem on a colt the foal of a donkey. Jesus riding in on a donkey communicates to the people that God has kept his promise to send a savior. You know, when we see Jesus fulfill the promises and prophecies of the old of the Old Testament, we need to see behind those fulfillments a God who always keeps his promises. This plan was never going to fail. God was never going to fail. God was always faithful to his promise to send a Savior to save his people from their sins. One of the beauties of the Bible, especially in Jesus fulfilling the Old Testament, we see the faithfulness of God even down to the smallest details. Now, a couple things to note with this picture of Jesus riding in on a donkey in fulfillment of prophecy. Number one, Jesus is pictured as the king. This fits with the common picture we've seen in the Gospels of Jesus bringing about God's kingdom. And how we are to view ourselves, those who belong to Christ in faith, as citizens of God's kingdom, and Jesus is our king. We live lives of loving obedience to the commands of our king. You know, Jesus isn't your consultant that you can say to, well, I'll take that under advisement. (laughs) Good opinion, Jesus. No. Listen, you are not your own. I am not my own. We are servants of our king. Secondly, we see that Jesus is humble. Look again at verse 5. Behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey. We don't often think of kings as humble. It's one of the beauties of Jesus. We can contrast riding on a donkey as a king, to riding in on a war horse. We can contrast Jesus in all humility, voluntarily going to the place where he will be crucified, with Jesus as bringing justice on the white horse in Revelation chapter 19. Philippians 2 says this about Jesus, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The picture of Jesus riding in on a donkey presents a humble Savior, a humble King who will lay down His life for His people. Thirdly, this picture of Jesus riding in on a donkey presents Jesus as the Savior who brings peace. Not only is the donkey a sign of fulfillment, it's also a sign of peace. Similar to the previous point in contrasting a king entering a city on a donkey versus a war horse, one of the commentators notes, Kings often rode in cities on donkeys to show they came in peace. Jesus rides on a donkey to declare himself the promised Savior who establishes God's reign of peace. The only way to find peace in this world is through the Savior who rode into his city on a donkey. It is the only way that we can have peace with God and it is the only way we can have peace within ourselves through our trust in him and the hope we have in Jesus. As Matthew tells us that this was done in fulfillment of Scripture, then Matthew then turns his attention to the response of the crowd around Jesus. Let's look at that in verses 6 to 9. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. As was noted earlier, Matthew returns to the disciples and shows that they have done exactly what Jesus had directed them. They bring the animals to Jesus and they put on them their cloaks and And so he sat on them. After giving Jesus a makeshift saddle, which I can testify that riding on a donkey or horse without a saddle is extremely uncomfortable, so good job, disciples. The crowd spread their cloaks on the road and cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Scholars help us to understand what's going on here, that we should see this putting down of cloaks on the road as acknowledging Jesus' kingship. They cite a, a passage from 2 Kings chapter 9 where this was done for King Jehu. We should probably see the same idea with the spreading of the branches, which has parallels in Israel's history as found in First and 2 Maccabees. They are rightly treating Jesus with honor as a king. Now admittedly, as we see in places like John chapter 6, how the people understood Jesus as king and how Jesus understood himself as king were often quite different. So in one sense, this is the crowd acting and speaking better than they know. This continues on in what they say. Look at verse 9. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. These words of praise come primarily from Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26. Let me read that for you. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord couple things to notice from what the crowd says. Number one, they call Jesus Son of David. We've seen this before in the Gospels, but this is one way that the New Testament refers to the promised Savior who was prophesied to come from the line of King David. So in their words, again, whether they fully understood what they were saying or not, or whether they fully believed what they were saying, is debatable, but they are proclaiming the truth that Jesus was the fulfillment of the promises made to David, that the Savior would come from his people. We also see that they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They are proclaiming the truth That Jesus was sent by God to save his people. That he is God's promised savior coming in the name of the Lord. And then they say what is so common as we celebrate Palm Sunday, they say, Hosanna. And maybe this is one of those words you've said for years, but you're like, you know, I honestly have no idea what this means. And that's why you come to church. Why say this about Jesus? Why say Hosanna? Let me get into the weeds just a little bit, but we'll come right back out of the weeds. Hosanna is a transliterated Hebrew word. What do I mean by that? My Thursday morning women's Bible say, you guys know this. So first, the Hebrew word, was spelled using Greek letters for the New Testament. And then we, instead of translating the word, took our alphabet and substituted similar letters so we get the word Hosanna. Now, if we were to translate the word Hosanna, it would be save us. That's why I read Psalm 118. Because that's where it comes from. Save us, we pray, O Lord. Hosanna. So Hosanna is not another name for Jesus. It's not his nickname. It is a cry for help and a cry for salvation. Hosanna is save us, we pray, O Lord. Now, just in case there's any confusion with how this fits with the phrase, Hosanna in the highest, one author writes it's probably equivalent to in the Christmas story where they say, glory to God in the highest. The people praise God in the highest heavens for sending the promised Savior. Now, as we've mentioned before, many people at the time of Jesus saw him merely as a political Savior. You could say Hosanna and quote quote Psalm 118 and think you wanted Jesus to bring political freedom from the Romans. But as I noted earlier, for many there, they were probably speaking better than they knew. Because Jesus is the king who brings salvation. He is the king who saves us from our sin, who saves us from judgment. And at the end of the week... We will see Jesus bring about his victory, not by bringing political rebellion, but by dying on the cross and rising again so that all who believe in him will be saved. And it's in that spirit that we cry, Hosanna. Let's turn to the final scene of the story here because it doesn't end with the parade. It doesn't end with the people spreading their cloaks and shouting, Hosanna. As the parade enters into Jerusalem, the people of the city have a question. Who is this guy? Let's look at that, verses 10 and 11. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus. Jesus. From Nazareth of Galilee. Now imagine you're going about your business in Jerusalem. Maybe you were out running errands because Passover was a couple days away. And maybe you were just out getting some work done, knowing that the holiday was coming up. And all of a sudden you find yourself in the middle of a parade. There are people walking around a guy on a donkey and singing and shouting about God's promised king. This probably didn't happen every day in Jerusalem. You might be excited and join the crowd. You might be nervous about how the Roman authorities would react. You might simply just be really, really confused as to what's going on. And I think that's behind the phrase that Matthew says, that the whole city was stirred up. A mix of excitement, a mix of nervousness because of the Romans, a mix of just confusion. The whole city thrown into disarray. And out of that stirring up, one question comes to the center, and that is who is this? Who is this guy on the donkey? Now, the crowd gives an answer, and we'll talk about that in a second, but I want you to see what they say. This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, the crowd does a few things well. They get Jesus' name right, so that's good, and they get where he's from correct. But as I was preparing this week, I wrestled a lot with what label they gave him. And that is as profit. Can I give you three opinions that I had of this answer as I was studying for today? And they range from the optimistic to the pessimistic. Number one, the crowd recognizes that Jesus is sent by God and that he might be connecting Jesus to another Old Testament promise. This is the most optimistic. So I've already mentioned the central picture of Jesus as king and the triumphal entry and the prophecy fulfilled. The crowd should get points here for at least recognizing with their words the teaching or prophetic ministry of Jesus. That part of what Jesus did was to speak for God, which would make him a prophet. In this sense, it's it's understanding he's not a political or military figure, and that central to his life and ministry was teaching about God, which was the work of prophets. And it's also possible that they connected the promised Savior as the son of David to another Old Testament promise about another prophet. Let me read to you somewhat of a longer passage from Deuteronomy chapter 18. This is about Moses. Deuteronomy 18, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. In one sense, Jesus did fulfill that promise. He was the prophet like Moses, but greater than Moses, who came and preached to the people. So that's one option. Let me get to the most pessimistic option. Number two, the crowd is downgrading. They have been using the language proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised Savior. They have proclaimed that Jesus is God's promised king. But when they enter the city and the people of Jerusalem ask who Jesus is, they change from the language of king to the language of prophet. The Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and, more importantly, the Roman leaders in Jerusalem might not be pleased to hear about a king, but they might better tolerate a prophet. Under this idea, they're already backtracking from their cries of Hosanna. This one might make sense of how the cries of Hosanna turn to cries of crucify him at the end of the week. Thirdly, the crowd is just simply confused. This is my most neutral understanding. There might be some who really believe he is the prophet, and not knowing the end of the story, we can view that positively. There are others who might not be sure about Jesus, and so prophet is sort of the safe bet and fits him well. There might just be some people caught up in the moment of the excitement and just blurt it out without really thinking about it. It's hard to know. And I give you those three options to contrast with what the crowd said with the clarity that we have. See, we know the end of the story. We have the rest of the book of Matthew and the other Gospels. We know the answer to who is this. Let me borrow from another gospel, John, who has a crystal clear answer to the question, who is Jesus? And there's no room for debate here in what I'm going to read you. This is John chapter 20, verse 31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life. In his name. The crowd may have been confused when they called Jesus the prophet. They may not have exactly known what they were saying when they said it. But the Bible is crystal clear about who Jesus is. Jesus is the promised king of the prophecy of Zechariah, he is the prophet like Moses who preached the good news of the kingdom. He is the Son of God who was born, died, and rose again to save his people from their sins. A couple thoughts as we close up on our passage this morning. And I want to borrow that last idea, that last question of who is this? Who is Jesus? What do we see? Number one, Jesus is the king. It is so helpful to have this picture of Jesus in our minds. Jesus is our king, and we are citizens of his kingdom. There are so many false kings in this world that want our allegiance, but we have only one king. We serve King Jesus. Secondly, Jesus is the promised Savior. He is promised. Jesus' mission of salvation was always the plan. Jesus' mission to save sinners was promised throughout the Old Testament. And Jesus fulfilling these promises show us the faithfulness of God. And he is our Savior. He didn't just come to earth to be another teacher. He was a prophet like Moses who preached God's truth. But unlike Moses... He was the Savior who died for his people. Hosanna, save us. We celebrate this Palm Sunday to celebrate Jesus as our Savior, who was born on earth, lived a perfect life, died and rose again, so that all who repent of their sins and place their trust in him will be saved. They will be forgiven of their sins, reconciled to God, and have the hope of of eternal life. We worship the king who entered the city on a donkey to show that he would be the savior who died and rose again for his people. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word to us this morning. We thank you that you did send your son to be our savior. That in all of the details of Palm Sunday, you were showing us That you fulfilled your promises to send a Savior, and that we would receive Jesus by faith, and that we would live as citizens of King Jesus. We pray this in His name. Amen. Thanks for watching this video from Hillside Evangelical Free Church. Our hope is that these resources will help you grow as a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. We're located in Green Bank, Washington on Whidbey Island. And if you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to have you join us. You can find out more information at our website at hillside-efc.com.